just hammers so much of what I was thinking about after last night and everything. The valleys and stuff is just wonderful. Because I, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about last night was amazing and crazy and fun and stuff. You know, just that mountaintop experience and it's great. And you know, I, I, uh, but I thought to myself, you know, we do these, we do these events and we do these things and see people healed and touched and it's awesome, right? But then on Monday we go back and, you know, we go back to our jobs and we go back to our things and we go back to this stuff, right? And, and, and a lot of times maybe those feels don't feel like mountaintop experience stuff, right? It, they can feel like the valley. But, but it was like, it's, I mean, I couldn't have said it better than Neely, but it's that whole thing is that we go back to our jobs and we go back to these things, we go back to this stuff. And that, a lot of times, is where we grow. Because Jesus is not a, a once in a few month thing. It's not a, you know, it's not even a once a week thing. Jesus is every day, right? Jesus is working and teaching and, and, and building and doing so much in us every day. And that's, I mean, that's where I grow, is the week. The reason I come here and the reason we do those events is because through the week, I've been cultivating what he's doing. I can't, you know, I don't show up on Sundays and, oh yeah, this is just what happens. No, it's all week long. I'm cultivating what he's saying. I'm cultivating what he's doing. I'm cultivating his, his spirit, you know? And I think about that for us, is that, you know, when we, 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 we feel so great and stuff like that, but we come back and throughout the week, I mean, we still, we have, we still have to learn how we're going to love people, how we're going to go through our, our, our days and how it becomes worship to God every moment of our day. We still have to learn how to respond, how to deal with emotions and our thoughts and these things. And it, that, and like, that is like what he said, that, that's where, it, that's where they, there's growth. And I think that's so important, not for us to just be like, oh man, if I can just get to the next experience, or I can get to the next thing. No, let's go for today. Right? Let's grow today. What is Holy Spirit doing in me today? What is He saying in, in today? Where is He leading today? What are these things? Because our daily life is just as important as the great experiences. Right? They're not less valuable. If we put a value scale on what God is doing, then we are going to miss what he's saying. Right? If we go, well, it's just my job, or it's just my work, or it's just Tuesday. You know? It's just, it's just you know, Thursday, or whatever day of the week. You know, I'll just go through the motions. No! No, we can't, we can't live mountaintop, mountaintop. We walk every single day. Right? And I think that's so important that we still cultivate. Because as we were, Don and I were talking earlier, you know, we were saying, what about these people that get baptized and get an amazing experience with Jesus or get healed or whatever? And I'm like, I, you know, if all we do is this evangelistic thing where we, you know, go out there and we get people touched and stuff, but they go back into an environment that that is not cultivated, then the experience and what he, it, the experience is great. But all experiences are supposed to lead to transformation. And if that transformation is not cultivated, then it's like the parable that Jesus talked about that the seed fell on stony ground or hard ground or shallow ground and the weeds out or something like that. 
is that I want to see, I want to see the kingdom come and I want to see the revival that we're, we're beginning into. I want to see experiences like that. I want to see those healings. I want to see that stuff. But I also want to create a, an environment and a culture, an ecosystem where God touches somebody, touches a person, but then they also step into a family that cultivates those experiences, cultivates those things, cultivates what God's doing. And that is a turning point in experience and then a moment with people. But when they leave from that, it, it, it isn't just a feeling on Monday. It's actually I change my work, the way I see people, the way I view people, the way I encounter people, the way I think about myself, the way I think they change, right? And, that, and I step into an environment where people help me to cultivate that, where that actually grows and that actually becomes something, right? And that's why it's so important. You know, in Ephesians, when it talks about the fivefold ministry, what we're doing on Saturdays, it's like the evangelist. You know, you have evangelists and the pastors and the teachers and the prophets and the apostles and stuff like that. The evangelist goes out there, they amazing experiences with people and all this stuff like that. But they walk away, they need to be pastored in that. They need to be shepherded in that. They need to be taught in that. They need these things. And because when all of the government of God is functioning, it creates the ecosystem that is a transformational lifestyle. But an evangelist does not think like a teacher. An evangelist says, this is it. This is what's going to change the world. If you've ever gone to a person who's an evangelist and they're a pastor, their churches don't. They're not very good. I mean, it's the honest truth. Because true, Evangelists don't make good pastors. They just don't. I've gone to some that they're amazing and they love the Lord and they're on fire and, they, and they're always encountering people and they're always doing, you know, doing this stuff and you've seen all these things. But their churches don't really grow because people and all they get is the same evangelism thing. They're not, they're not being pastored. They're not being taught. They're not being empowered in prophecy. They're not being, the apostles are not there. The government of God is not transforming them. We're missing because all it says that the fivefold ministry was created to express the fullness of Jesus. And Jesus encompassed all of those things. And so when we encounter somebody and they get touched, they have encountered Jesus. But there are still other parts of what he's doing in their lives that needs to be continued to grow. And so I believe that as God develops and as we see things being poured out here, we're going to also see the other, the other gifts and the other offices are going to rise up because he wants to create an entire ecosystem and culture that a revival is not a one-night deal. It is not a three-week-long deal. It is not a three-month deal. It is not even a three-year deal. That it is a generational thing. That we stepped into revival and we stepped into what he was doing and we stepped into these things and he started pouring out his spirit and our children grew up in it. And they inherited where we went. And they built upon it. And they grew on it. And their generation experienced revival in the same way all their lives. And they grew on that. And their children grow on that. And that they don't disrespect us or dishonor us by going farther. But they actually build on top of, it, of what we've done. Is that we actually give them the inheritance of God's Spirit. And so... I see, I see that God wants to do that. 
and many people in the body has different parts and things that it's doing that he wants to do. Uh, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know. I'm just rambling. But um, <laughs> keep rambling, right? La- you know, last night, I uh, just to give God some glory, that last night, um, I-, I keep hearing stories from different people of how God touched, you know, uh, we just, we had such an, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy. It was awesome. Even beforehand, things that went good, things that went bad. Two bikers rolled up, like, a couple. Four, 4.30? Yeah, it was like, it started at 6, and at 4.30, these two biker guys, tats, awesomeness, roll up, start talking to us. Jared really Our starts talking. The reaction was, two guys we can minister to. How cool is this? It was the opposite. They wrecked us. They, it was awesome. They, they, it was awesome. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, Jared started talking about the Driven by Nails ministry stuff, and they started talking, and then they're like, hey, we want to we wanna pray with you guys before we leave. And we're like, heck yeah, let's do it. Dude, they step up, and they prophesied over Jackie and prayed for the gift of healing and stuff over her because he was like, dude, he just saw it on her and stuff like that, that God wanted that. And he gave me a word, and he just, and then they prayed over it. They were powerful dudes. It was, they were sent for us, right? They were, they were, those guys were awesome. They were intense. They were cool. Um, you know, crazy fun little things like that. You know, and then when we, yes, I chased, a, I literally chased a lady down the street. I literally, I guess I should explain that. But, <laughs> She wasn't running. No, she, wasn't running. she wasn't running. She no. Ran, she, ran, she ran to the... To, to the worship. Yeah, she ran to the worship. Yeah, she just started running. She just came down the street out of nowhere. I didn't actually see her come. She got out of her car. Like, she come flying up, parked by the fire station there in Turkey. Got out wearing a yellow dress and just yes. made a beeline to the park. Almost and all the way. as I was sitting up on the stage doing my thing, I'm... No, I did not tackle. I did not tackle. I prayed Friday night. When we set up, we prayed over that entire area. And one of my prayers, I looked at the same spot where she parked. And I said, Lord, I want every ear in this town to hear what you want to have. I want to Yeah, that was that was yeah. It was so funny because uh, I saw her, and you know how like I'm just I'm looking across the crowd, and it's like boom, Holy Spirit. You know that how that is where it's like almost you know highlight on them, and you're like, and I was like, so I'm getting used to that. So I'm like, okay, okay. I'm like, yeah. I, you know, I felt Holy Spirit was saying something, and I just thought I'm like I'm gonna prophesy over her. Like I don't know what it is, because a lot of times. Um, God's like you're supposed to prophesy or, or give a word or something like that. Yellow dress, red flowers, 
Yes, yes, her. Yes, that was her. That was her. Your yellow dress, round glass, uh, sunglass thing. Yep. Yeah. No, I know. Everybody was feeling it. It was crazy. She and uh, I saw her, and I'm like, you know, and a lot of times I'm like, I don't have a specific word, but a lot of times I just have to step out in faith, and it'll fall out right, you know. And uh, and then she starts to walk away, like after like a few songs. I don't know what it was, three or two or three songs, and then she started leaving. I'm like, no, she can't leave. Like, where are you going? And I'm standing there going, what am I going to do? What, this is terrible. Like, I have to be obedient. Like, I have to be obedient. I, I know what God told me to do. And I'm like, I can't, I'll beat myself up forever if I don't do this. And so I'm just like, whatever. Screw it. I just took off running down the street. I'm like, I'll just catch her. <laughs> but I eventually caught up to her and was like, hey, ma'am, stuff like that. And she turned around and she's like, oh, my gosh. She's like, that, this is so great. This is awesome. Like, Wow. And, and she was down at a wedding they were having at the Hotel Turkey. She's actually from Oklahoma. And uh, she's like, I heard, I don't know if she, how she heard about it. She didn't, I don't really, I didn't really catch that. I don't know how she heard about it. Oh, she just heard the music. But she left the wedding for a little while just to come down and worship for a little bit. And their, their church is going through like awesome revival she's talking about. And I'm like, wow, that's so great. And I'm like, can I? And she's like, are you going to pray for me? And I'm like, yeah, if I can. She's like, that would be amazing. And so I prayed for her, whatever and stuff. It was super cool. But I just was obedient and whatnot. But anyway, weird things like that. And then, yeah, and then when we started to minister, oh, man, you know, saw it's so funny. I don't know what it is with right knees right now because another lady uh, there, Emily, it was her right, her, her right knee, almost identical cast thing on there and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was a guy that rolled up today on the street that we prayed for, and it was his right knee. Same kind of wraparound. That's so weird. I don't know what that's about. That's so weird. All right knees. But prayed for her knee, same deal. Boom. Healed. Pops his hip. It was pretty good. That's what he told me exactly. Anyways. And, it was, and I was like, whoa, you know? And uh, Jerry Peck's shoulder was feeling better. And then kids in the, the baptismal that got baptized that were like, oh yeah, my arm's better. And, and then everybody that got hit by the Holy Spirit in the baptismal, that was wild, bro. That was pretty intense. That was pretty wild. <laughs> Jesus, just, and it's so, I love that because it's not, you know, nobody can take glory for that but God, so it's just perfect because you're like, huh, you got dunked in water, what do you think happened? <laughs> the, kid, the kids, they know how they love water, right? So they would get in the water like they're excited <laughs> They're like, they don't even know what's happening. Like, 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 Yeah.
Wow. Wow. He's an itty bitty little guy. He's itty bitty. No. It was, it, it, 
Yeah. Well. Well, yeah, and that. It was amazing, you know, and that's, and that's one of the things that I've told, uh, just about everybody that, you know, we uh, we went to that meeting with Todd Smith, and and his vision was that there was fire on the water and stuff like that, and it was awesome. People get in touch and stuff like that, but, and uh, and I told the Lord, dude, like this is why I'm, this is why I was born. This is why I'm here. Like this is why this is it. And I went back and you know stayed there till. 2, 2.30 in the morning, you know, because I'm just like, I just want to soak this up. And, and when, and, you know, and then the, I don't know what it was, a week before, you're like, we better get a baptismal there, you know? And so we're like, Donna said, Donna said, we got to set it up. We set that baptismal up the night before, and I'm like, you know what? I believe God can touch people in this. And, and so we started to pray over it. And when we were, this is the night before we were praying over it, and, and God showed me, the baptismal and the the water he showed me it turned to blood and and i was like dude like egypt like when the whole river turned blood he says yeah he says but this time it's my blood and i was just like this is gonna be awesome <laughs> and it was that and that's when i went home that night and i was like i gotta heat this water up and make it nice because people are gonna be in there a long time if 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 that if if that water's turned into blood, this is going to be intense. And that was like my job the next day. I was like, I've got to make sure that this. And it, sure enough, I mean, yeah, I guess later than eleven when it, I don't even know what time it was. I was a wrinkly like an old man when I got out of there. But I mean, it was it was it was amazing. And because it was that point of contact for people, and that's what I've said is that. It is a point of contact. When I lay hands on somebody, it is a point of contact. When they get in the water, it is a point of contact with Jesus. When you take communion, it is a point of contact with Him. You know, uh, when somebody gives you a word or whatever these things are, is that you are connecting with what God has for you. And uh, and I am so grateful. I'm like, dude. I just I was like, you know, it's those things that you're like, I have no idea if people are just going to get in there and get wet. I'm like, whatever. But then when Jesus starts encountering people, I'm like, you know, I'm like, like, I saw, I know what he told me. But you know how that is when you know what you've told you and you're obedient and there's that little stage in between that you're like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, he, he, he's going to show up. I'm like, oh, but, you know, it's so great and it's so amazing. And, and, that's, and that's where I'm coming for today is that. Romans 2, 4 says, and I've said it over and over and over because it is just, it is the groundwork for transformation. That the goodness of God leads men into repentance. Because His, his goodness, His goodness trans, is, the, is the groundwork, is the foundation, and is the belief that will transform your life and break you through to the impossible. It, because it's, is, and it's any area that we don't know he's good, we can't have faith. Right? If you're going, God's good on knees and God's good on hips and God's good on marriages and God's good on fear and God's, but he's not good. I don't know, I don't, I don't know where he's at on like divorce. I don't know where he's at on cancer. I don't know, you know, it's hard to have faith in that when you don't know if God is good there. But when you, so that when we 
feast on his goodness. And we realize, yes, you're good in my fear. You're good in anxiety. You're good in depression. You're good in my sickness. You're good in my provision. You're good in my safety. You're good in these things. You're good. That means I can trust you. That means I have hope for this. That means my faith is here. That means I can step out. But it is because that he is good. Because we, we have been taught and lied to that God is angry at us. Or maybe he's not in a good mood all the time. The fact is, you look at the scriptures, God's in a good mood. God's in, like, I think you guys need to hear that again. Listen, God is happy. <laughs> God's in a good mood. Are there moments that he's like, that's not okay, you need to stop? Yes, that's apparent, right? But his character is goodness, right? It's not, you know, fire and brimstone, he's mad at you, you better run, boy. If all I'm doing is scaring people out of hell and heaven's just the place where they don't have to go to hell, then I have forgotten what the gospel is, and that is to know him and to have relationship with him. And to know him is to know his goodness. His goodness is the foundation of our life. I can tell you that when I started believing for healing, it was because I realized how much God loved people. Because if I don't believe that God loves people and that God is good, and if I just, oh, look, there's somebody who's sick and hurting or whatever, I'm like, meh, right? But when I go, no, he's good. He's amazing. He loves this person. Je Jesus was the expression of God's goodness, right? It says that in Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the perfect representation of Father God. He came to reveal Father God and his heart. Because think about it, had God truly been represented correctly on earth before Jesus? No, because he couldn't have been. But Jesus came because he said, I came to reveal the Father. And I don't do anything that the Father is not saying or doing. So he came to represent him, to reveal his heart. So if you look at that, and if you look at what Jesus did, and that that was an example of God's heart, then we can realize what God likes and what God desires. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus healed this person. Jesus forgave this person. Jesus loved. Jesus did this. And it says that we love like Jesus, and we follow in his example, and this is goodness. His goodness, and here, and so let's shift it just a little bit here. If God is good and we're created in His image, then what is our purpose? Right? So it says in the garden that God said, I'm going to create man in our image. And if God is good, then we're created in His image. To be good. Now, obviously, I think we all understand here that sin corrupted that image, right? Pretty basic, but we need to make sure we understand that. Sin corrupted that image. We have a sin nature. That's why Jesus had to die and create us to be a new being. He didn't want to improve the old being. He wanted to kill that one and start new. And that newness is created in his image and is good. 
And so he's saying, I'm good. I'm awesome. I'm amazing. And you know what? I made you like me. And that, and that's not supposed to bring us into pride. We're supposed to stay humble. But humility is not devaluing yourself. It is just not putting yourself above others. As, as I've said before, it is not, humility is not thinking less of yourself, just thinking of yourself less. Right? It's not on our value. It's on, and Bill Johnson says that we are supposed to rule with the heart of a servant and serve with the heart of a king. Is that we're supposed to rule, but we're supposed to do it through serving. But when we serve, we understand that we're royalty. And so, um, in Luke 22, I think. Yes, Luke 22. If you want to, you can turn there. Um, I don't know where that is. Oh, there it is. All the yellow stuff. Yeah, that's right. So, think about this. Actually, go to Luke 22. That's where we're actually going to study, but I want to say one other thing. I think it's Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is that Jesus sends out his disciples, right? He sends out his disciples, and he says, you know, go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, do all this stuff, right? So he go, they, they go out, and it says they go two by two, and they go out into their, their towns and their villages and stuff like that, right? And they come back, and they go, oh, my gosh, we saw demons obey, and we saw all this stuff. And he says, yeah, I saw Satan fall like lightning, right? And, and, he's, uh, and they're like, that's amazing. And I've heard it said, you can imagine that they were all, they went by two by two. So they don't know, they didn't have cell phones to be like, you know, like FaceTiming, check this out. Like, you know, Peter would be FaceTiming everybody and like gloating to, you know, check this out, Luke. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> Mr. Doctor over here. Well, this person got raised from the dead. You know, like, I'm just saying, you know, they didn't have that. So as each one went to their cities, they thought they probably all had the best experience. Right? So you can imagine Peter and John or whatever, they went to their villages and they're like, holy cow, all the demons are fleeing and people are getting healed. And they're like, there's no way Luke and Matthew had this good of a time. We've got to be the best two here. Like, this is it. That we are the bomb right here. You know? They didn't know what happened. So they're all thinking, this is the best. We must be the greatest here. And then they all came together and they started sharing their stuff and they all started telling their stories and they all were like, who's the greatest here? Like, all right, how many dead did you raise? Oh, dude, weak numbers too, weak numbers. You know, I'm the great, you know? And so they're all talking amongst each other and they must be like, who's the greatest? And they're like, we're amazing. We are truly amazing. And you know what? And I heard, and I, I'm stealing this from Bill Johnson just because he's a good teacher. But Jesus comes to them, and he knows what they're talking about. And they're all, like, trying to figure out who is the greatest. 
And he comes to them and he brings a child and he says, this is the greatest in the kingdom. Here's the deal. Jesus did not tell them to stop thinking they were great. He just redefined greatness. He didn't say, no, you're not great. You're a terrible, dirty sinner. You need to just stop being prideful and devalue yourself. He didn't actually, he actually, he said, yes, you're getting it. You're created in my image, so you're great. But you're going a little far. Little, there's a little bit of pride in you. I need to trim that off a little bit, right? I need to trim you by my word. So let me redefine what greatness is. You are great, so that's greatness. That's what you need to become. He just said, I like what you're doing. Let's redirect it a little bit. So that's saying, what is the heart of God saying? Yes, you were created in my image, and you are great, and you are amazing. You should value yourself, but you've got to become like a little kid. They are the greatest. And in that culture, children weren't valued. You know, children were children. You just blah, blah, keep them away, right? The disciples at one point kept the children from Jesus, and Jesus was like, no, bring them to me, right? So that shows some of the culture of that day towards children. And then Jesus says, you've got to become like one of them. They're like, no. The old wise guys with the long tassels and the beards were what they all wanted to be. And they're like, woo, you know. But he's saying, no, be a little kid. And they're like, what? That's so foolish. And so he redefined greatness. And that's not that, again, that's not an invitation for pride. Right? He never said for us to get prideful. He said he exalts the humble. Right? And that's not stealing God's glory. Right? If you can steal God's glory, I guess he's not very glorious. Oh, I stole God's glory. I'm going to hide it in this little box. That is not very much glory if you can steal it from God. God is glorified. He is king. You ain't going to steal his glory. Yeah, you might get proud and you'll get, he'll, he'll take care of that, right? But you're not going to steal his glory because what glorifies him? when you live as you were created to be, right? When you live as you were created to be, you glorify him in your goodness. Because in your created nature, he says, I'm gonna create you like me, which is good. And when you exemplify goodness, you step into your destiny of what you were created to do, which gives me glory because it points back to me. Because I'm your creator. And when a creation works well, it glorifies the creator. Right? The painting, we are his painting. I think I've given this illustration before, right? We are the painting. Jesus is the model. And God was the painter. So if we say, oh, this painting is so ugly. This painting is so terrible. The model was great. The model was a fantastic model. Beautiful. Loved the hair. But the painting's ugly. Don't look at the painting. Is that glorifying the painter? The painter's the one who created it. If you go, that was a beautiful model, and it's a beautiful painting, and that is an amazing painter. That's it right there. It gives glory. And so 
we need to value, we, we in our own culture need to be, we need to stay accountable to each other. But think about this. Usually accountability is, are you sinning this week? What if accountability is, have you been great this week? We need to stay accountable for your greatness. Because if you're out there living like just a normal person, we need to come up and be like, bro, you got Jesus inside you. The king is in you. You've been anointed. You've been called. Right? If I see Donna out there living a normal life, I'm going to be like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. You better not because I know who you are. One, I know what's in you. And one, I know what your destiny is. And if you're not living incredible, if you're not living the impossible, if you're not living like nobody else is, if you're not doing that, then I'm going to keep you accountable to what you're supposed to be. And that's to be great. Even if I see Donna living in sin, I should keep her accountable to her goodness in her. Right? I'm like, you're better than that. You were created with a purpose. You were created for this thing. You got to repent and get out of that and get back into who you're supposed to be. And so for us, we see each other and we go, I mean, they're pretty mediocre. You know? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, maybe we're like, eh, they're a mediocre person. But, you know, they're not killing people and doing drugs. and It's all right. You know? But what if in reality we're like, dude, you weren't made to be mediocre. You were made to be great. And if you think yourself less than that, you've got to change the way you think. You need to see how good God is. You need to see somebody in front of you get healed. You need to have an encounter with him. You need to see how good God is. Because when you see how good God is, you've got to change your mind. You've got to think about yourself differently. I'll drink to that. So, we've got to stay accountable to what's good inside of what he has put in over our lives. And that's why words and prophecy is so important. Because you go, this is what God's saying about you. This is what it is. And that is the same thing like when Neely was speaking over me tonight. I expect everybody here to keep me accountable to what I've been called to. That go, Anthony, you know that you're made better for that. You know that you're supposed to walk this way. You know you're greater than that. If I'm getting attacked with the doubts, if I'm getting attacked with those things, I, wanna, I want to be treated the way I'm going to treat other people. And I've always tried to, leaders in my life, I've tried to always honor them, always love them, but always help them when I see that they're falling in a very loving way. That I'm like, I want, and I've always made it a goal. I'm like, I don't care how they respond, it's okay. Because one day, if I'm leading people, I want them to come along me. And I want them to say, you're better than that. That's a lie. You need to step up. You, that I want people to treat me that way. And that's what I'm sowing into my future by the way I treat other people. Because I'm going to reap from that. And that's why every single one of us needs to step into staying accountable in our greatness. You know, I was, I was listening to a sermon today. And truthfully, I can't remember who the guy was. But the guy was telling the story. It was back in the 1800s. One of these, you know, revivalist kind of things, whatever. I can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. But he... Very early on, he was about 19 years old, and he felt really oppression, uh, 
impression from the Lord to really start seeking him. So he started praying and fasting and stuff like that. And he came to his pastor and he was like, I want to I want to preach to people and stuff like that. He felt called to that. And the pastor was like, OK, well, how about this? On Sunday, we'll do church. I'll do my sermon stuff. And then anybody who wants to stay afterwards, you can preach to them. You know, he was just kind of like here. There's a little something there. Right. So he's like, awesome. So they have the whole thing and about 25 people stay. Well, then he gets up and he preaches and he speaks. And at the end, he, said, he gives the call and he says, who wants to give their all to Jesus? Who wants to live with full abandonment? And 13 people raised their hand and he had them come up and they prayed and stuff like that. And the next day, he wrote all the major newspapers and says, revival has broken out. <laughs> I heard that story, and I was like, was it last week or the week before? I don't remember. When I said, who wants to live without options and go full on out? And the whole room came forward. I'm like, right there, revival. We had like 30 people, you know? I didn't read that. You didn't didn't write it in the paper. You're the one who writes in the paper. Revival breaks out in Turkey. So, so, so we realize that God is good, and the more that we feast on his goodness, our minds change. Be renewed in your minds that you would prove the perfect will of God. The more that you look at God's goodness and you see the world through his goodness, you will step into addressing the world through his perspective. And when you do that, you will prove to the world the perfect will of God, and that's that he's good. And that we realize that we are called to be great people. We are called into greatness. We are called for these things. And we are called to lead and transform our communities and our workplaces and our families and and entire cities. We're called into this. And we realize that's what we're called to do. And this week I was reading, and that's where Luke 22, if you've turned there. Nope, I didn't forgot. I've just been building up. I have a big bottle of water. I can talk all night. <laughs> you did. Uh, verse 24. And this is again. Listen to this. I'm just going to read it straight through. This is the Passion Translation. This is so... This is just... This is powerful. Uh, verse 24. The disciples... Oh no, I clicked on something. Dang it, here we go. The disciples bickered over which one of them would be considered the greatest in the kingdom. This is at the uh, uh, Last Supper, actually. Okay? Just to give some background. So again, here they are. They're bickering about this at the Last Supper. The disciples bickered over which one of them would be considered the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus interrupted their argument saying, Kings and men of authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects claiming that they do it for the good of the people. They are obsessed with how others see them. But this is not your calling. You will lead by a different model. The greatest one among you will live as one called to serve others without honor. The greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has a servant's heart. The leaders who are, ser- who are served are the most important in your, eye- your eyes. But in the kingdom, it is the servant who will lead. I, 
Am I not here with you as one who serves? And then he... This is where Jesus did the servant thing. He washed the feet. Yep, he's about to. Anybody? That was one of the things that people did because they were uh, good hosts is they washed people's feet. Mm-hmm. And they didn't walk in shoes. They walked in sandals, and it was dirt. And, you know, they rode animals. And so you can imagine what was on the feet. So the person that was the least saved...
And that, and that's, I mean, that right there is the essence of why Jesus told us to be servants. Because what happened in America was a belief came out that actually has put us in the position that we're in. And that belief was that Jesus was coming back in just a few years and he's going to come take care of it all, right? You have the 60s, you have the 70s, and all this stuff. And the world's getting so bad that Jesus is going to come back, right? Well, here's the problem with that. Oh, Jesus come back in three years. Oh, Jesus come in uh, 10 years. There's no reason to go to college. Jesus is coming back. Literally. I mean, I've, you've, we've talked to people that grew up in that period of time, and they're like, oh, Jesus is coming back. And, and so they didn't go to college. They didn't pursue a career in certain things they maybe were very good at. They maybe didn't do these things, right? Because Jesus was coming back, and so they sat back, and they waited for Jesus to come. And they didn't become professors, and they didn't get into technology, and they didn't get into government, and they didn't do these things because they were waiting for Jesus to come save them, right? So what happened is a whole generation stopped back from serving its country and serving its culture, right? So what happened was, they said, well, Jesus will come and take care of it all. And they didn't realize that Jesus had already called them to go in. And they went into their churches, and they huddled up. And they said, all right, let's just, we're going to praise, we're just worship, or we're just going to survive until Jesus gets here. And they died, and Jesus didn't come back. And they didn't come into their culture, and they did these things. So who stepped into their places? Who created Microsoft? Who created Apple? Huh? Who, who? Who went into the be the professors that would make the decisions of these Christian colleges? Was people that didn't step into their place and serve? Who 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 did the who went into government? And look at where our government is now. It is because the Christians sat back and waited for Jesus to come and take care of our problems. And Jesus is saying, here's that belief has put us where we are now. And if it keeps getting darker and we keep saying Jesus is coming back sooner and we keep sitting back, guess what? We are going to self-fulfill our own prophecies that it's going to get bad. If I say it's going to get bad and then I do nothing to turn it, then it's going to get bad. And I just self-prophesied and I made it happen because I did nothing. God says, I look at things and I call them as they are, not as what I see. He's saying, I call them as they are not to be, create them to be something else, right? So he's saying, you may see bad government. You may see these problems. You may see things. But God says, I see, I see Microsoft, that it was supposed to create technology and ability to empower my people, to bring ability to create, uh, pr- put the Bible on the Internet, to print these things. I created Apple for the, these things. I created for this stuff. But you know what? God has... He, he creates people with destinies and purpose. He created Bill Gates. He created these people, and he gave them gifts. And how they use them is their deal. But it was because they weren't touched by God. And there was Christians that could have innovated those things, could have done those things, could have transformed our culture, but didn't because they sat back because they believed the wrong thing. Right? And so Jesus says, you see me serving. You were great. You were amazing. You need to have a faith like this child. But you know what? If you're truly great, you'll humble yourself and you'll serve. Where, and you may say, so my whole lifestyle is a servant? Yes. You serve where you're put. I'm a professor, let's say. 
will I, I, I go through the work. I become the professor, and I serve my students, and I serve my college, and I make a difference, and I make an impact. I go into technology. I go into these things. Why innovate new technologies if Jesus is coming back? There's no reason to. But if he's saying, you step into your culture, you touch this world. There's a story. Sean Bowles talks about this. Is that he was uh, ministering to this family and this young kid. This kid was like eight years old. And this kid, they get this word that he says... And the kid's been pursuing, like, going, like, acting and stuff. Little, little kid, you know, like, commercials and stuff like that. And Sean goes, Lord, he actually didn't give him a word. He just told him to, like, listen, right? And the kid goes, I'm supposed to go to Hollywood. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be an actor or something like that. And you know what? His parents pick up, they're, like, in Idaho or something like that, pick up, sell everything, and move to Hollywood. And the kid starts getting jobs. And the kid starts doing really good, and he's paying the way. And they're kind of like managing it for him, right? And because he's like, he's following what God told him to do. Because that's his gifting, right? Well, he comes to this point that he's really not totally breaking through into what he needs, right? And his parents are like, well, and he's like 10 at this time now, right? And they're like, have you prayed about it? Like, are you sure that you heard God 100% of what you're supposed to be doing, right? You know, it's a, tw- it's a 10-year-old kid. Like, you can be like, are you sure you heard perfectly, you know? You know, 10 years old. I mean, you know, I'm like, dang, they're crazy for moving out there anyways. But he's like, well, I'll pray about it. 10 years old. This crazy, kid's crazy. And he, he, said, he goes into his room, and he's gone for 30 minutes. And he's in there for 30 minutes, and then he comes out, and he's just bawling. And he's just crying. And they go, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he was like, I didn't, I missed it. I missed it. And they're like, what do you mean? He says, I, I missed what I was supposed to be doing. He says, I, I'm supposed to be in Hollywood. He says, but I'm supposed to love the people. He says, I'm supposed to love the directors. I'm supposed to love the producers. I'm supposed to love the other actors. I'm supposed to be in Hollywood to show them Jesus. He says, I heard I was supposed to be in Hollywood, but I missed my, I know what my calling is, but I didn't know what my purpose was, and that was to love them. And they said, okay. And the next day, he had this, um, this uh, audition to be on this Disney Channel thing. Would have been his big break. And he goes there, and he, he's sitting there, and there's this other kid there who is always his competitor. Like, they, like, compete on the roles. They're about the same age, all this stuff like that. So they're always competing. Sometimes he gets them. Sometimes the other kid gets them. So he knows that's his competitor. Well, he's sitting there in the lobby, and the other kid has a cold. And he's kind of sniffly nosed and not in a good mood, stuff like that. And so he's thinking in his mind, oh, he ain't going to get the part because he's not on top of his game. And he's sitting there, and he's going, Mom, I want to pray for him. And his mom's sitting here thinking, also, uh, we don't know if they're Christian. You know, this could be a really hostile environment. You could get, like, kicked out, like, all this stuff. And she's going, um. And she goes, okay, you can, if that's what you feel you need to do, you can do it. But I want you to realize what could happen if you do it. Like, you need to know what sacrifice you're making. She tells him all that, and he goes, I understand. I'm not here to act. 
I'm here to love those in the industry. And so he goes up and he asks the little boy, hey, can I pray for you and stuff like that? And the kid's like, yeah. And so he prays for him and the kid instantly clears up. And he comes back and they're like really thankful and it turns out good, no problems. Well, that kid goes in first for the audition and then a few minutes later the uh, uh, audition director comes out and goes, y'all can go home, we found our part. The kid got it. And the, and, and the mom's like, oh no. And as they walk out of there, she goes, how do you feel about that? And he says, I feel great. He's like, because I fulfilled my purpose. I loved him. And I got to bless him. I'll get another part later. He realized that he was there to serve and to love people. And that's what God's calling us into in our greatness. That, see, we, we want to do revivals at, on, on weekends, and we want to do church on the Sunday. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? What about those? Right? What about our jobs? Dawson, we're always talking about in his being a cop. He's always trying to bring Jesus in. How can he serve? How can he love? How can he do these things? How can I love at the farm store? How can I serve? How can I do these things? You know what? If I were going into business, how can I supply jobs to people? How can I serve and love people? If I was a professor, how can I teach in these things? How can I influence my culture? We have stepped back from serving and loving people in our culture that the culture has turned non-Christian because we stepped back from our calling, and that was to love people. Right? Oh, man, it's getting so bad. Why do you think it got bad? Because we didn't do what we were called to do. And that is why when I look at Turkey and when I look at Kittiquay and when I look at Silverton and I look at Matador and I look at Texas and I look at the Panhandle, Panhandle, I go, I'm a world changer. I'm supposed to change this entire place. I'm not supposed to just baptize people and give them encounters. I'm supposed to change the governments of Turkey and Kittiquay. I'm supposed to change the way we do business in these communities. I see all these empty buildings up and down Main Street, and I go, I'm supposed to bring business to this town. I'm supposed to bring life to this town. God, if God cares about my mosquito bites, he cares about the economy of my town, right? I'm supposed to bring, when revival comes, let me tell you something. John Calvin changed Cologne. Uh, is that France? Is, it, is, is Cologne in France, or where is Cologne? France, John Calvin. Okay, when, the, when these revivals happen and John Calvin, all these things happen, the pastors of Cologne called him and said, oh, not like that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> called him and said, dude, we want you to come here because this place was the dump of France. The dump. It, it was... It was the worst place ever. And he went there, and he said, okay. So he came there, and he prayed, and he was like, God, do you want to do this? And God said, yes, I want to do it. So he got together with all the pastors, and he said, okay. We have to change the entire government of this place. We have to change. 
And they all started fasting and praying twice a week and doing this stuff. But not only that, he said, we need to start training up people and we need to start encouraging them and helping them open businesses. And we need them to start getting into the teaching positions to become teachers. We need them to get into the government of this town. We need to do all of this stuff. And he stayed there for 10 years. And they, 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 they changed the sewage systems. They changed the business systems. They changed so much. Nowadays, that place is known for some of the best chocolates, for some of the best wines, for some of all, uh, all these amazing places. And these products come out of that city 100 years after John Calvin. Why? Because they changed the government. Right? They changed the atmosphere and they changed the culture. Right? They changed it because they implemented God because God cares about those things. And it's the same way in our communities. Oh, the community's dying. Oh, the community's dying. Oh, the community's dying. You know what? It's dying because we are letting it die because God's not in it. When revival comes, it's going to change our governments and our communities and our economy. Okay? That... That's, that's what's part of this. Poor girl, I don't know what's wrong. Um, so, it's getting late. I've talked a lot. Sorry. Um, I had a big bottle of water, and that was your own fault. Let's, uh, I want us to pray for our community. I think God's, I want us to pray that we would step into our greatness, but I want us to pray that it would break out in our lives. It would break out in our communities. And it, I believe that there are other people in our communities that we're supposed to see the greatness in them. And we're supposed to go, you're supposed to start a business. You're supposed to start, you know, you're supposed to start a restaurant kind of thing, you know? You're supposed to kind of do this stuff, right? It's that kind of thing that we call them into their destinies and their greatness and their purpose because God is touching them, okay? Let's all stand.